Thanks very much, Paddy. Evening, everyone. It is um, great to be back with you in the Book of Acts this evening. Do open back up to Acts chapter 9, where um, Phil was reading for us earlier. Um, If you were with us last Sunday evening, we saw, didn't we, the dramatic conversion of Saul. Uh, As Paddy was unpacking that, he was pointing us to this amazing grace. Grace we've already been, been singing about, rejoicing in together this evening. God opened Saul's eyes and his heart. And we can say that because of that, Saul became a new man in Christ. And so in tonight's passage, we now see what comes about as a result of who Saul has become, being this new man. We're going to see how Saul's life changes as a result of meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. See, it would have been clear to Saul, I imagine, that that meeting Jesus and now going on to follow him would, would change his life. Being a new man in Christ would mean a new life. And the reality is that that is true for all of us here this evening who are Christians. Often, uh, particularly though, for those of us who have been Christians for a while, we can begin to forget this. We can begin to lose focus, lose clarity on what is it that being a Christian really means for us. And so this evening, as we see how following Jesus, being a new man in Christ, changes Saul's life, so we're going to also remember, and I pray this evening, be re-envisioned in seeing what it means for us to follow Jesus, how that changes our lives as well. Each of us, of course, being new men and new women in Christ, as, so, as Paul will later put it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are new creations. If We are Christians here this evening. And so we're going to have a look at how that impacts us, how that impacts us, how that changes us. And we're going to do that this evening as uh, two different ways that we're going to see this changes the life of Saul and also changes our lives. So first of all, we're going to see this evening that being a new man or, or a new woman in Christ means being part of a new community. Remember, as I said, we've just seen Saul on the road to Damascus meeting Jesus. And in verse 18, towards the end of where Paddy finished off last time, we read that he had regained his sight and had, was baptized. And that's where we uh, pick back up in the second half of verse 19 this evening. And if you look there with me, we read there in that verse that for some days Saul was with the disciples at Damascus. We we saw Ananias' words last week, didn't we? As he came alongside Saul in verse 17, and he called him this, he called him Brother Saul. And it seems that Saul has immediately understood something of this brotherhood, this Christian family that he is now a part of. I think verse 19 is a great picture of the church, isn't it? Coming alongside a new Christian, a new believer, and we presume encouraging, supporting him. We don't read there much of the detail of what this being with the disciples at Damascus is like for Saul, but it wouldn't take much imagination, would it? Of course, first of all, Saul's going to be sharing what's just happened to him. He's going to be saying, listen, 
I've just met the risen Jesus myself. What an encouragement that must have been for those other disciples as they see. Wow. This man, verse 21, this man was coming to Damascus to bind us and take us back to Jerusalem. And yet God has put a stop to that. He's met him. He's turned his life around. He's now confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. And that must have been an encouragement, mustn't it? As the disciples saw, well, this is who our God is. He can turn someone's life around, even someone's life like Saul. Wow, the gospel is a message of grace. And I'm sure the encouragement wouldn't have just been one way, would it? Saul, this new Christian convert, would have had questions himself. What does it look like to now follow Jesus? What does life look like on this other side of the dividing line, as it were? See, as we were speaking about last Sunday morning, the Christian life comes with this incredible blessing, that we do not do it alone, but we do it united, united together with other believers who are also new men and new women in Jesus. And we can enjoy the blessings that flow from that, the encouragement, the support, the help, even the blessing of a well-timed rebuke, as we were thinking about this morning. What's Saul's first move in Damascus? To press into and seek out this blessing. Spending time with the new community, the church. And if you then jump on with me to verse 26, we see the same pattern repeated there. In fact, if you look at this passage as a whole, uh, verses 26 to 30 we see uh, the pattern repeated. Almost exactly what happens in Damascus happens in Jerusalem. That's why we're going to kind of hold the two sections together. In both, first we see Saul associating with other Christians. Then in both we see him preaching about Jesus. Then in both he faces opposition. And then in both he's helped to escape. The repeated pattern. And so as we said, the first thing that we see then in Jerusalem in verse 26 is again Saul's immediate attempts to associate with the new community, the church. Now I think it's worth quickly at this point helping us to situate what's going on here in terms of a timeline. Um, it, this trip to Jerusalem, if you were with us a few weeks ago in Galatians, we, this happened about three years after Saul's conversion. That's what we read about in Galatians 1. Uh, it seems that immediately after his conversion, Saul spent some time in Damascus, and then after that he went for an extended time out into Arabia, before then returning to Damascus again, which is where we, we are in verse 23. Now, what, what Saul did in his time in Arabia, we don't know. He didn't say himself in Galatians, Luke doesn't go there. So, uh, so what we're going to do is just jump straight back into verse 26 and see what, Saul, what Luke does talk about. And as I said, first of all, in verse 26, when he comes to Jerusalem, he meets with the believers there. Although we see, don't we, that even these years later, Saul's previous reputation, well, it's preceding him. We don't know, again, what's, what's happening here. Perhaps the disciples there haven't heard much about what's happened in Damascus, with Saul being away for that time too. Perhaps they think this is some kind of ongoing intricate plot. We don't know. But whatever the case, the disciples in Jerusalem, we read there in verse 26, were all afraid of Saul because they didn't believe he was a disciple. 
And here we see this lovely moment. As Barnabas, the son of encouragement, steps in. If you look at verse 27, he steps in, he comes alongside Saul, and he brings him to the apostles and shares Saul's testimony of how he's seen the Lord, and the testimony of then how he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ since then. And that testimony seems to be accepted, because we then read in verse 28 the result, similar, as I said, to what we read back in verse 19 in Damascus, that Saul, now in Jerusalem, goes in and out amongst the disciples. Now, seeing this in both Damascus and in Jerusalem should remind each of us this evening that if we are new women and new men in Christ, that's true for us. We are part of a new community as well. And as we've already said, this is an incredible blessing. We are not called to the Christian life on our own, but alongside others. And as we reflect on this, here I think are four application questions for us to maybe take away and think about. First of all, does your life really reflect the fact that as a new man or woman in Christ, you are part of the new community of the church? Saul's first instinct in both Damascus and in Jerusalem was to seek out fellow believers and spend time with, that, with them. Are you doing that regularly? That could be something that perhaps you've fallen out of the way of doing, or, or never, you've never done regularly. Well, let me just encourage you, make this a priority again in your life. There is so much blessing, encouragement, and help to be found in doing that. And that then leads to the second application question that I want to bring out. When you are together with other believers... Will you share how God has worked in your life with them? And will you look to ask them for how God has been at work in their lives? Just as those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, they must have been encouraged, mustn't they, by Saul and what has happened in his life. Well, so it can be for each of us this evening. If we're willing to share and then ask others as well about how God has worked in our lives. First, in bringing us to Christ, because no matter how dramatic or undramatic our conversion was, that is a miracle, and that is something to praise God for. But then also, continuing to share how God is upholding us in struggles, how God is revealing himself to us, how God is opening doors for conversations to speak about Jesus. Here at Great Vic, let's encourage each other by talking about what God is doing what God has done in our lives, and what he's still doing. Let's remind each other of that regularly. A third application question then. Will you lovingly welcome a newcomer, even a newcomer like Saul? Here's what the late minister and author John Stott, here's how he puts it. There is an urgent need for modern Ananiases and Barnabases, who overcome their scruples. Thank you. We need to welcome everyone in, don't we? Here as a church, we welcome. We throw our doors open. We need an Ananias. We need a Barnabas who will come alongside people 
who will help them. No matter people's background, no matter their history, God loves them. How do we respond to people coming through our doors? Perhaps here's a good example this evening. How do we love them? How do we care for them? Of course, there are safeguards we're going to look to to go to, to make sure. But often we can hide behind excuses, can't we? Let's look to be a community where we really do, as the bulletin says, open wide our doors. Offer welcome to all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Fourthly, and finally then, from our passage here up to, up to this point, as we think of being part of a new community, will you help others around you? We see this modeled, don't we, in Saul's time in Damascus and in Jerusalem. If you look at the end of both of those little passages, what happens? We see fellow believers coming alongside Saul and helping him, helping him to escape. And in the case of his time in Jerusalem, then also sending him purposefully off to another region, his hometown of Tarsus. And as we see other believers doing that for Saul, helping him, I guess it's maybe unlikely this this evening that we're going to be called to do exactly this, to help brothers and sisters escape death because of Christ. But surely the principle is the same. The principle is the same. Can we join with brothers and sisters and help each other financially, through prayer, through picking up the phone to encourage somebody? As we said last Sunday, let's keep looking around us. Look around us and see who is it that we can help run the race. And then also, how can we help others? That's the first thing we see in our passage this evening, that as a new man in Christ, this means Saul is part of a new community. And as part of that, there is blessing and help. Let's see now the second thing that being a new man in Christ means for Saul, and that is that he has a new commission. He has a new purpose and direction, a new calling in his life. What was Saul's commission before meeting the risen Christ? Well, we saw that last week in verse 14, and we see it again in verse 21 here. It was to go to Damascus and bind all who call on the name of Jesus. But as we saw last week in verse 15, his life is about to take as sharp a U-turn as can be made, right? Brakes shrieking, tires spinning, rubber marks all over the road. Saul is now going the other way. Because now he is the one who is going to take the name of Jesus out. To carry the name of Jesus before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. We all need purpose and direction in our lives, don't we? And as God has made that clear to Saul through this new commission, what is his life to be about? Carrying Jesus' name before the Gentiles. That is his commission. From now on, this is what Saul, day in, day out, night and day, will be doing for the rest of his life. Telling people about Jesus. And as we see this for Saul, I think it's again important to see that this is something that applies to all of us. Sure, before we came to Christ, many of us were not 
thanks to the grace of God, actively persecuting Christians. But the Bible is clear that no matter our past, like Saul, we were once enemies of God, living for ourselves, living in sin and not living for God. And so in this way, in becoming new men and new women in Christ, all of our lives have taken that similar U-turn. What our life used to be about, well, it's no longer what our life is about now. And as part of that, similar to Saul receiving a commission to now carry the name of Jesus out to others, Jesus has given all of us as his followers a similar commission. We keep coming back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But that's just right at the heart of what Acts is about. All of us as Christians have now taken on Christ's call to be his witnesses, his witnesses right to the end of the earth. That is the church's commission, and more generally, that is each of our commission. That is our purpose if we are a Christian here this evening, to make disciples of all nations. This is something that should give us direction and purpose in our lives every single day, We have had our lives graciously transformed by Jesus. And so we should be looking to share that good news with whoever God puts around us. Just before we get into the specifics of what that looks like, let me ask you, if someone right now asked you to write a mission statement for your life, a purpose statement, would this be on it? There are so many good things we can and should look to do as Christians. Do well in our jobs. Be a good parent. Care for the poor and the needy. The list could go on and on and on. But let's never let all of those other things crowd out this central thing of what it is to be a Christian. And that is to look to tell others about Jesus. That's each of our commission. Saul understands this, doesn't he? It hasn't taken him long to recognize, accept, and begin to take this seriously. Look at verse 20 again with me. Right there in Damascus, probably only a few days on, it seems here, immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And what we see Saul proclaiming there, Jesus being the Son of God, is the first thing of three that I want us to then notice about what this new commission looked like for Saul. That this new commission, first of all, is completely Christ-centered. Saul has, has a really powerful conversion account, probably the most powerful conversion account out there. And yet he doesn't spend time talking about himself. Look, he goes straight to Jesus. It's about Jesus. Verse 20, he proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. And look at verse 21. It then puts it that uh, he saw was increasing in strength. He confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. As ever, we'd love to hear more of this, wouldn't we? We're only seeing the highlights, the headlines, what this looked like for Saul to prove Jesus was the Christ. He must have surely taken people to the Old Testament and led these Jews step by step, just like Jesus on the Emmaus Road, just like we saw as well, didn't we, with uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. Again and again, pointing these Jews, this is pointing to Jesus. It's all about him. And then, of course, 
we presume as well it must have taken the form of pointing others to his eyewitness account of meeting the risen Christ and pointing to others who also saw the risen Jesus. Who else can come out of the grave? Who else can conquer death but the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen King? Saul must have been pointing to this truth as he proved that Jesus was the Christ. And then look at verses 27 and 28. We see a summary, don't we, of Paul's evangelism, both in Damascus and in Jerusalem. We see there that in Damascus, first of all, he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And in Jerusalem, he preaches boldly in the name of the Lord. If we're going to fulfill our part in in the commission that we've been given, like Saul, we need to be all about Jesus. We need to be Christ-centered. We need to speak in Jesus' name. We need to speak about Jesus' name. We need to tell people the good news. That as the Son of God, as the Christ, he has made a way for us, as we were talking about this morning, to be justified, to be made right, to find forgiveness and reconciliation with our God. And not just now, for eternity to come. Every single one of us who are Christians here this evening, I would imagine, are a result of someone else, like Saul here, speaking to us about Jesus. Maybe that was our parents. Maybe that was someone at school. Maybe that was someone at work. We each have our own unique stories, but we each have them because someone, somewhere, recognized this was their purpose in life, to tell people about Jesus. Let's give thanks again to God for those people who did that in our lives. And then let's look to do the same for those around us. Let's ask and pray for God's help. And we need to pray, don't we? Because this isn't something that will necessarily come naturally for us. And this is linked then to the second thing that we notice about how Saul acts on this commission. We see that he is courageous. He's courageous as he tells people about Jesus. In verse 22, we read about Saul increasing all the more in strength as he spoke about Jesus. And then in verses 27 and 28 that we just looked at a second ago, we see that Saul's preaching in both Damascus and in Jerusalem is described by the same word. He preaches boldly. And he even goes and disputes with the Hellenists, people who he knows aren't just indifferent to Jesus, but are against him. Saul is no doubt courageous, isn't he, as he fulfills his new commission. He's not mincing his words. He's not not just going to those who he thinks might be sympathetic to him. He is telling everyone and anyone who will hear about Jesus and about their need of him. Not just that Jesus, well, he's some good guy. He's, He's got some good moral guidance for your life. No, he is preaching that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord. That he must be the Lord in your life, as we were thinking about this morning. You can tell he must have been speaking like this because of the really hostile reaction he faces, doesn't he? In both Damascus and in Jerusalem. This is no pluralistic message. This is courageous and bold preaching of the gospel. And of course, we can learn from that, can't we? If you're anything like me, a conversation 
where I'm trying to speak about Jesus can go like this. Well, I'm, I'm a Christian, and um, yeah, that's, that, that's really helpful for me in many different ways in my life. And, and it can ramble on a bit like that. And sometimes that's okay. We want to tell just people and be real about being a Christian. That's a good way to start conversations. But we must also be ready to tell people, to tell people courageously, boldly, the gospel in a way that does confront people and doesn't just leave them thinking, well, that's okay for you, but I've got my own way of thinking. And of course, this is where we need to pray. Pray for wisdom. When is that moment? When is that moment that I'm going to courageously, boldly speak up about Jesus to my friends, my friends at school, people I work with, my family? And also, we need to pray for God's strengthening and help to do that. Look at verse 22 again. That's what we read of Saul doing, increasing in strength. How? Well, it can only be by God. Saul, like every other believer, has been given the Holy Spirit who clothes him in power. As Saul presses on in following this commission, God clothes him in power. By the Spirit, he strengthens and helps him. And we can be sure that God will do the same for us if we follow this example as well. It's encouraging, isn't it, to remember that we are not alone when we are sharing the gospel. But the Spirit is with us, helping us. So that recognizing that, let's recognize that and ask for boldness. Ask for courage to speak of Christ. And we need that courage because the third thing that we notice about Saul acting on his new God-given commission is that it proves costly. Again, God had already warned Saul about this through Ananias. And here in this passage, we see just the beginning of this, don't we? In verses 23 and 24, the Jews come and plot to kill Saul. And then in verse 29, we see the Hellenists seeking to kill Saul. And this will be just the start for him, won't it? As he journeys on, he'll face beatings, imprisonment, abandonment, shipwreck, and ultimately it seems he'll be, he will be killed for the sake of Christ. Yet this opposition that he faces in this passage this evening and the opposition he goes on to face does not stop him. As the rest of the book of Acts will show, he will press on in telling people about Jesus, whatever the cost. And that example has to be hugely challenging for us, doesn't it? What's the maximum cost that you would be willing to face for telling people about Jesus? Perhaps some behind-your-back eye-rolling or chat at work. Perhaps an outright confrontation in the street with a stranger. Perhaps a mocking social media post. Or how about getting fired from your job? Or being officially disowned by your family? Or being sent to prison? Are you ready to take up your cross and follow Christ and speak about him, no matter the cost? It's challenging, isn't it? But this is what we see in Saul. 
and what we see from so many other Christians down through the years too, who followed Saul's example. Why? Why do they do that? Because, well, because we do truly have good news that needs to be shared with the world. No matter whether people around us want to hear it or not. And because we also remember, don't we, what it cost Jesus to take away our sins to bring us back to God. Next weekend is Easter. And that is a time, isn't it, when we will remember that that cost. The full extent of the cost of Christ. What he went through. And what he went through, well, that, doesn't that make our suffering pale into insignificance? It's a pale reflection of what he has already gone through for us as he bore the full weight of God's wrath on himself. In many ways, we do pray, don't we, that God would spare us from full-blown persecution and suffering. But let's also, in our prayers, ask for God to prepare us, to prepare us for when that moment might well come. So that if it does, we will, like Saul, continue to be courageous in holding fast to Christ and speaking about him, no matter the cost. So we've seen in our passage this evening two main things that being a new man in Christ has meant for Saul. And I want us just to close then to be encouraged by this final little verse. It's a little gem here that we have, and we don't have much time to look at it in detail now. But as we read it, I want us to see something now of what being a part of the new community together in Christ means for us. Let's read verse 31 again. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. First off, in this little summary verse, I want us to see that that as we look to do what we've just talked about there, as we come together as a community in Christ, that means that together we can have confidence because we know that God is at work. This is what we've seen in the book of Acts all the way up to this point, that even though there are oppositions and setbacks, even like we see there of Saul at the end of verse 30 being sent off from Jerusalem, seemingly before he would have chosen to. Well, that is not going to stop God. It's not going to stop his kingdom from spreading. Perhaps inspired by Saul's example here, or Philip's example, or Stephen's example, the example of the apostles, and ultimately by the example of Christ, we can see that God is continuing to strengthen and help his people to share the good news of Jesus to all Judea and Samaria. And we even read there this, this, uh, in that it's reached Galilee. Up to this point, we haven't heard about that in the book of Acts. In all of this, God is at work. The church is multiplying. And I hope, once again, this little zoomed out view here will encourage us. If we are part of this new community in Christ, no matter what specifics we here at Great Vic might be focusing on, a new building project, Or or a city, what the city looks like that seems to increasingly be turning its back on Christian things. We can be sure that God is above it all. And he is continuing his work. Just as he was back then, he is building his church. And then just as we close, we see one other incredible thing from verse 31. That being a new community in Christ means. It means 
We can walk in the fear of the Lord while also walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Fear and comfort. Those are two words that we rarely see held together in a sentence. And yet here they are, together in the life of the church. This early church, first of all, walked in the fear of the Lord. They saw the Lord's transcendence. They put him first. They remembered his awesomeness. They sought his direction and his will. They remembered each day, rightly, who God was and who they were. Remembering that God is so other to them. And yet this church also walked in the imminence of the Lord. In the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that he was with them. While they recognize God's otherness, they recognize that God has genuinely brought us to himself. He's forgiven us. He's given us new life in Christ. And God is with us by his spirit wherever we go. As we close, that is a great example to follow, isn't it? For us this evening as God's church. We want to put God first. We want to remember who he has made us to be in Christ. We, want, we are forgiven, a redeemed community. And let's pray that that kind of attitude of, of humble confidence, that attitude of humble confidence, well, God can use that as, as he continues to work to multiply the church here in Belfast and beyond. Let's pray that God would continue to do that as we close. Lord God, we thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for how we have seen over the past few weeks how that good news of the risen Christ has changed Saul's life. And Lord, we thank you for each of us here who are Christians this evening, how that good news has reached us. We thank you for those who, who shared that good news of Christ with us, whoever they were, Lord, we thank you for them. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to rejoice, first of all, in that gospel. To walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then, Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be ready to live that out. To, to, to enjoy the blessing of coming together with other believers. And then to be a part of your work as you continue to spread this good news. Here in this city and right out to the ends of the earth. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. May we continue to rejoice in that as we continue on in the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close by singing this final song, Take My Life and Let It Be. And it's a great prayer as we've just been kind of thinking there. What does it look like for us now to respond to what has changed us? And we ask for the Lord to use us as we go out from here. So let's, um, let's stand and sing as the musicians play.
pray as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Lord, we uh, think just even now of this lady who's been in with us, who's um, had a bit of an incident there. Lord, we pray, pray for your blessing and help for her. Lord, we pray that she would know that welcomer and love um, that uh, we offer to her as a reflection um, of the love that you have poured out on us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to go out from here and to be shining lights for the Lord Jesus. We pray this in the name of our precious Saviour.